Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. It is a good morning. Um, if you have Bibles with you, or if you're more of a version Bible app person, um, we are going to continue in our series on Galatians 5, talking through the different elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but we're not going to be in Galatians 5 very long. We'll also spend a little bit of time in our New Testament reading in Philippians 4, so you may want to have that ready to go. We're going to jump around Scripture a little bit this morning. It's going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, this series has been predominantly taught by Dan, and not to not a spoiler or anything, but I am not Dan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Dan has has been running pretty hard this week, and uh, we had the Always Forward Conference here at Church of the Redeemer. It was amazing. Church planners from all over the country and the world were here. I think there were like 100 of them. It was an amazing time. Uh, Dan leads that. He's got a lot of things going on. And so he asked me to step in so that he could breathe a little bit because Dan, although he's a great dean, a great friend and a great mentor, is also a human being and uh, needs to breathe a little bit. And so I'm grateful to be asked and have the opportunity to continue here with peace. My role here is uh, I'm the director of the Greensboro Fellows Program. And I, man, 11 o'clock brings me, 9 o'clock. I just put them, I don't know what happened. You guys rock. Um, yeah. I, the um, I, that threw me off. You guys are so great. Um, hey, since I've been up here, I'm not here that often. Get to preach that often. We have welcomed our twelfth class of the Greensboro Fellows. Some of them are here now. Um, they're split between service. Yeah, you should clap for them. You should. You should. They are really God's brought a really wonderful, incredible group of people. That in it's been about a month. But there are people that I've already come to love, and I think you're going to come to love them. So they're worth getting to know. It's awesome. Um, so in the sake of this series and the framework for it, a few weeks ago, Dan um, talked through just this idea of Galatians 5. And Paul was a little bit frustrated, if you recall, with the Galatians and their lifestyle and their practices. And so in kind of a frustrating tone, he's like, no, 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 these are the works of the flesh. But if you're staying in step with the Spirit, then you can expect to see some results. Or in his agrarian language that we see so often throughout the Bible, he refers to those things as fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And then we talked through love, and we talked about joy. Those are two pretty darn big ideas. And this morning, we're going to talk for a few minutes about peace. Now, I think God's really funny, and uh, my calendar before I was asked to step in this morning had something on it yesterday. And it might be the opposite idea of peace, like that exists in the triad. Um, I have a three-year-old daughter. She's great, uh, but she's into this show uh, called Paw Patrol. If you know, you know. And uh, they came out with a movie, and uh, I wanted to be a good parent, and so I I took her to see that movie. They, but don't worry, they didn't have it anywhere near my house. We drove 20 minutes the opportunity to uh, join with other people dressed up as robot dog figures and sit in a theater with mid-30-somethings people like me. We bought popcorn that my daughter decided that she didn't like, and it's, you know, that was really inexpensive. So, 
Thanks for that. And uh, turns out there's a bad guy. So we made it about 27 minutes uh, before peak breakdown. And so uh, she rallied to her credit. She's a superhero. But I just had this moment where I'm, I have her over my shoulder because she's just, this is not a hold you situation. This is a, like, we're getting out of here deal. And she's screaming because she's conflicted. Like, do I stay or do I go? And I'm so scared of that. And um, she's screaming and I'm stepping on popcorn and other kids are screaming. And I'm just like, I need to shift my mind over to preach about peace tomorrow. <sighs> so that's God for you. He's, he's funny like that. When I say peace, the thought that comes into your brain, I bet it's not movie theaters with robot dogs. I bet it's more, um, maybe you think of something like quiet place or tranquility. Maybe you think of a person that you know who's really brought a lot of peace to your life. Maybe you think of a place. I, I talk to a lot of people who I just feel at peace at the beach or in the mountains, or maybe somewhere in between. I don't know what that is for you. Most of us like the idea of peace, um, but at least in my experience, I've found that people have a hard time really defining it or putting words around what it really is. We can describe the feeling or what it is, but what does it really mean can be tough. But, but I do think there's this sense in us that we, we know, even if we can't like put particular language to it, we want whatever that peace thing is. I used to work with this organization called Water Mission. I was a partnerships director. So I worked with people that would give to the organization to see water systems and sanitation be brought around the world. I was meeting with a guy in a Cracker Barrel, because I'm classy like that, in Lancaster, South Carolina, because I'm classy like that. And um, he was a guy, he's actually a pretty affluent, wonderful guy. And he had just gone on a trip with our organization to Mexico. Um, to see some of the things that he invested in. And, and part of that trip was he was in a very remote, very impoverished area, and he built a sanitary latrine for some folks in that community. There was a team of folks that did that. If you're not aware, this is just kind of a fun fact for you this morning. There are more people on the planet today that have a cell phone in their pocket than access to a sanitary toilet. Um, it's, a, it's a major health, I mean, all the things, health and just human dignity that comes with that. It's really beautiful. And so he built this for this woman and the team afterwards asked how they could pray for her. He's telling me a story. And she goes, you don't have to ask God for anything. I have everything that I've ever wanted. And this man who is a pretty stoic South Carolina guy, businessman, is just, I mean, the tears rolling down. And if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip or maybe a longer trip, Sometimes it can be a, a real cultural shakeup to go and to see some of these things and how we process them can be difficult. Um, and I wasn't sure what he was going to say, but I was like, what are you feeling right now? And what he said through his tears, like really stuck with me. He just goes, I've never seen peace like that. And I want it. There's something about this peace thing. We can't really put our words on it, but we know what we feel and we want it. The problem is that when we look at, at the world around us, we're not seeing a ton of and, and our culture has really no language for it. Um, there's a term, there's a recent study that I read about this week. Um, researchers started, this is an international study, but they started to ask people how they define the word peace. And the answers were so strongly in one general direction, they made up a new term to describe what was happening. And the term is negative peace. What negative peace refers to is that people almost entirely 
have a very hard time telling you what peace is, but they're very good at telling you what peace is not. They would say things like this. Peace for me, this study took place in the Middle East. And so I know that peace is not bloodshed. I know that peace is not violence. I know that peace is not war. I know peace is not chaos. My definition of peace is defined through what it's not. Negative. And that might sound odd to you. Like, well, what is that? How does that apply to me? If you pull out your phone, please don't do this right now. And you can just trust me with this because I did it for you this week. If you Google the definition of the word peace, what's going to pop up is, is this, the absence of war and other hostility. We, as a culture, don't have language to describe this thing that we all know somewhere in our souls that we want so very much. And the way that that's playing out um, has been a little stark as well. In terms of just looking around, it, where are we seeing peace? Where are we finding it? How are we defining it? From a global perspective, this is not a political statement. It's just a fact. The United States has been at war officially from 2001 to 2021 and has been in some pretty significant conflicts ever since then. Just for some perspective on that, the fellows of this year's class, many of them were born in 2001, and so they've never experienced a day in their lives that the United States has not been in some sort of international conflict. So globally, right, if, even outside the United States, there how, you turn on the international news and there is conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict. This is the reality. This is the water that we're swimming. So for, we're not saying it from a global perspective. What, what if we get a little bit more focused? What about domestically here in the United States? I don't know if you've watched the news. I don't know if you're on social media, but people are pretty fired up right now. On either side, right? This, I'm, not, I'm not political, but, but on either side, people are getting angrier and angrier and more. Um, hostile and hostile, they are continuing to see other people as enemies, so much so, so that if we were to describe our culture today, the number one term that the media, newspapers, and probably you are thinking is that we are living in a culture war. That's the way that our domestic life is right now. So not seeing it globally, not seeing it domestically. What about relationally, right? Surely we're finding it with our friends and our family. Not great news there either. People today don't have nearly the amount of relationships or the depths of relationships that it takes to be emotionally healthy. According to a survey in 2018, this is pre-pandemic, so I don't think these numbers got better. 54% of Americans said that they always or sometimes feel like nobody knows them well. And of that same study, 40% said that their relationships don't have any meaning. No global peace, no domestic peace. We're lacking relational peace. But good news, right? There's this inner tranquility thing, right? I can find my own peace. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't think that's going great either. We are described by scholars and researchers as the most connected and the loneliest generation in the history of the world. In the largest study that Barna Research Group has ever conducted, they found that over half, over 50%, of U.S. adults expressed significant anxiety and were deeply afraid of failure. And so just to sum this up this morning, in our society, we aren't quite sure what peace is, so we use negative peace, and then, but we think that we want it. But we've never seen it globally. We're not seeing it domestically. We're not experiencing it relationally. And we certainly can't find it individually. So my question is, where is this peace? 
I don't think that outside of the gospel, spoiler alert, we're going to be able to find it. We are living in a society, a society, excuse me, that doesn't actually value peace and amongst people that don't even really know what they're looking for. And you may be thinking to yourself, wow, JD, I woke up this morning feeling relatively peaceful. Thanks for coming to church. Sorry about that. Welcome to church. Everything's awful. It's not. It's not. It's not the message this morning. I actually am not saying this at all to be doom or gloom. What I'm saying here is I'm pretty sure that if we can stay in step with the Spirit, and if we can get this idea of peace right, that the church has an opportunity in front of it that is unprecedented. That right now, in these days, you and I, friends, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God, have answers to the questions that people are longing for in terms of peace at the deepest core of who they are. It's important that we get this right. I'm utterly convinced that if we do, the harvest that can come into the church is, is frankly something that would blow us off of our seats. So it's really important. It's really important. And so my goal this morning is I want you to have a sense of what biblical peace is. I want you to, to think through or begin to process the restorative work that, that biblical peace does and brings and will bring. And I, I want you to know how to have it. So the first part of that, first question, what is biblical peace? You read through your Bible, you're going to see peace pop up all the time. And it's going to be in the Old Testament. It shows up in the New Testament in this Greek word that's called arene. Um, that definition is kind of similar to the English definition that I mentioned before. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't speak Greek, and he most definitely did not speak English. If that bothers you this morning, I'll be in the narthex Jesus, not an Englishman. Uh, he spoke Aramaic, and, and when he would speak of this idea of peace, he's usually doing it with an Old Testament word that's really more of a concept than just a word. It's not something that we're just going to put into a definition. It is really a practice and a principle, and, and it's a Hebrew word, and the word is shalom. You've likely heard this word before. Um, it's often used as a Jewish greeting. My wife and I recently um, start re- started re-watching The Chosen. I don't know if you're a fan of this. Yeah, Christian media, that's actually pretty good. It's, it's awesome. And uh, I would commend it to you. And uh, as they walk around, though, Jesus is shalom, 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 shalom. Right? It's a greeting. It's like peace to you. It's, it's nice. It's good. But that word shalom, it's, it is so much more than a simple Jewish greeting. In my opinion, it's actually one of the most significant words that you can find in your Bible. So much so that the Greensboro Fellows Program, all the fellows over here are like, dang it, JD, I've heard this one before. Don't leave. Um, but they, the, this idea, we've built the fellows framework of what we do based on this word. And I'm convinced that if we get this idea right, it can really transform our thinking. I was hanging out with my friend, uh, a graduate of our program, Amir, on on Friday in my kitchen, and we were talking about, Amir's going to do this one day. The Lord's gifted him in ministry. And so we're talking through this idea of peace and how to communicate it. And he's like, you're going to talk about shalom? And uh, he made this reference that his fellows class, they refer to themselves as the shalomies. That's how much we talked about it. I don't know how to feel about that phrase. I don't, what'd you take away from church today? Shalomies. That's not what, not it. But that's, that's how significant it's been. Um, shalom's a really hard word to define succinctly. Like I said before, it's more of a concept than just a word. Um, shalom means this. I'm going to list off some things pretty quickly. It, it means not limited to, but just some framework. 
wholeness or well-being. It references much more than just your health or a feeling at a particular time. Shalom actually touches every single area of our life. Shalom covers your divine relationship. It covers your salvation with the Lord. It covers your social relationships. It covers your security and your protection for yourself and for your loved ones. Shalom covers your prosperity. It covers your finances. Shalom covers your physical health. It covers your physical body. It means so much more than tranquility or some sense of calmness that you have. Biblical peace is vast, and I can't overstate how encompassing this word is. When you think of shalom, if you were to press me, like, J.D., I need a phrase to walk out of here. This, it's not going to be perfect, but when you think of shalom, you should be thinking in terms of complete restoration, complete wholeness, the fullness of God, or maybe another way, as it should be. In the creation narrative, right, when God, from day to day, he's, he's going, he builds something, and he's really good at making something, and he goes, it, he saw it, and it was good. That's shalom. That's the idea. I made a good thing. It's functioning in the right way. Peace. Shalom. Restoration. Um, yeah. I heard a speaker one time say that, um, just on a personal note, this struck me, and she said that every child comes out of the womb looking for someone who's looking for them. And when you find that in your creator, you catch a glimpse of what Shalom has to offer. Shalom is as it should be. And biblically, it's how it's going to be. And, and this idea that it's bigger than just an absence of conflict, I think it's really important in terms of how we read our Bible. So, so when Jesus says in John 14, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that he's leaving his disciples and what he's going to give to them is peace. He is not saying that he's just leaving them simply with the ability to avoid conflict really well. It's not what he's saying. When Paul writes to the Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He is saying so much more than some sense of serenity can rule in your heart. Although that's true, there's more. There's so much more. It's why when Paul is writing to the Philippians in our New Testament reading in Philippians chapter 4, he says that he describes the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, right? The peace that we're talking about is far beyond anything that we can even begin to think about. And it certainly surpasses anything that this world has to offer. The peace that our world offers us is filthy rags compared to the shalom that the Lord initially created and that he's going to restore again. It is way more than our definition that we Googled about earlier, way more than just avoiding conflict. And I know this because I love Jesus. And if you read through your gospels, Jesus just doesn't seem to have too much of a problem with conflict at all. Jesus offended religious leaders to their face. He called prominent people hypocrites. He flipped tables in the temple. He looked at one of his most trusted followers, the guy he's going to call the rock that he's going to build his church on. And he looked him in the eyes and he said, get behind me, Satan. No problem with conflict. He stood for the oppressed. He fought the religious establishment when it was necessary. And then ultimately, Jesus Christ violently took a cross, went to hell, defeated death, came back and restored all things again as they're supposed to be. Jesus had no problem with conflict. Being a person of peace for us is not simply avoiding conflict at all. It's at least in part to become fully aligned with the ways and the character of God. 
And there are times when we are in the ways and the character of God where the most peaceful thing that we can do is oppose evil, the principalities, and the powers of this world. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are seeking peace as a fruit that comes from life with the Spirit stand against evil. They stand against poverty. They stand against injustice. They stand against brokenness. They stand against pornography. They stand against exploitation of innocent people and so much more. Peace is not taking the easy Peace is agreeing with God. Jesus didn't just talk about peace, although he did. He didn't just show us peace. He was actually marked by it his whole life. In Isaiah, the prophet is writing about the coming Messiah. That's, that he's coming into the world. And, and he uses this phrase in Isaiah 6, verse 9. He says that he will be, this Messiah will be the prince of peace or the prince of shalom, the prince of of wholeness, the prince of as it should be. And then Jesus shows up in Luke chapter two. These angels show up and they start singing, which I don't have time to get into that, but I bet it was awesome and scary and loud and all the things. But this is what they say, right? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Shalom is referenced in early creation, like I mentioned before. It's the idea of what God was doing when he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the gardens. There is a tie of shalom in the presence of God. They go together hand in hand. It's a pre-fallen concept, and it's broken when they took that fruit and, and the fall occurred, right? Here's what Isaiah is saying, and here's what Luke is saying in their, in their words, in their writing. They are saying, here comes the one to reestablish and restore the fullness of creation again. He is not just coming to bring some sense of a lack of conflict. He is coming that wrong would be made right. The Messiah is coming back to bring us into Shalom. He's going to make it as it should be again. Wholeness and fullness is on the way. So what does Shalom look like? What is it practically? Um, there's some writings from Wheaton and When Helping Hurts does a really good job of this, but this idea of shalom, there are a lot of scholars who break it down, really, that there's four relationships. That's what we're talking about. Four relationships that existed at creation that were broken, that Christ is in the process of restoring. Okay, I just want to walk through those just to give you a sense of, of what that might look like. Okay? The first one is this. The first one is shalom is a restored relationship with God. In the fall, in, in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve are driven out from the garden. They are no longer walking with God like they once were, as it was supposed to be, as it was very good. And, and there's this vast separation that exists between a, a holy and perfect God and, and a fallen and sinful creation. This vast void, right? We sing about it, we talk about it. There's a huge gap. The Christian worldview isn't the only worldview that recognizes what, what most religions of the world do is go, well, well God or the gods is, is up here and we are falling and we're down here. And so what we need to do is create a system where we can climb this ladder and that we, again, can be restored with this God so we can get back to what we think it should be like, right? So what do we do? Well, we need to follow this rule. We need to keep this law. We need to stay in this community. We need to reach some mental and whatever place of nirvana. Then, then we'll get there, right? And, and that just 
doesn't seem to be working out particularly. The Christian worldview is unique because what we say and what our Bible teaches is that we actually believe that that God himself was up here and we were down here and he went, you can't do it. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, down the ladder to enter our mess again. It says that he lived a perfect life, that he was afflicted and tempted in every way, and that Jesus Christ died at Calvary, defeated death, that he rose again, and that anyone who is in Christ, you are actually, the way that God sees you right now is through the lens of his peace and strength. This is as important as anything I'm going to say today. I want you to just hear this and know this. Jesus Christ has made peace between you and God today. You have been, in the biblical language, reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's going to play out this idea. In verse 17, you've heard this verse, I'm sure. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's good news. The old has passed away. The old, the new has come. And this, this is the sentence here, right? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You've been made right with God. And then I, I can't help it because it's, it's so good. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, came down the ladder, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The way that God sees you right now, not because of your works, not because of what you can do, you are reconciled to him. God sees you through the lens of peace. For those of us who are in Christ, you, that's where you are in this very moment. You didn't do it. You can't earn it. Jesus Christ himself did it. The blood of the cross makes you at peace with God again. And it is bigger than your feelings, and it's bigger than your thoughts. If you are, God right now is not frustrated with you. He is not disappointed with you. He is not angry with you. He has been, you and him are reconciled through Jesus Christ. He looks at you and he sees love. You're at peace with God. You were once enemies of God, that's what the Bible teaches, no longer. Jesus said, I call you friends. That's what it looks like. Our relationship with God has been restored. So that's the first one. The second one is our relationship is being restored with ourselves internally. After the fall, the first feeling that's described for Adam and Eve, it's this nasty word, but it's the word shame. It goes up for the first time. They hear God walking, and what do they do? They go and hide because they're naked and they're insecure. They're afraid. And friends, I, Christ restoring this to Paul writes about this as well in our New Testament reading in Philippians chapter four. It's Zach read it so well. Rejoice in the Lord always. And that's hard to do. So Paul doubles down. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, easy for me to say, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse six, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. In verse seven, here we go. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness of God, the fullness of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's actually active, not just avoiding conflict, it is guarding your hearts and minds in Christ. Friends, I, I want to say this. Please don't mishear what I'm saying. There's simply no need for anxiety when we trust in the character and the sovereignty of God. I'm not, I'm not saying for folks that clinically struggle with anxiety or wrestle with anxiety that, that I'm not, that's not what I'm saying here. I struggled with some anxiety on the drive over here because I knew I had to do this. It's not what I'm saying. 
What I am saying is that anxiety is no longer your master. You are not a slave to your anxiety. You are not a slave to your sin. You are not a slave to whatever fill in the blank sin or struggle is in your life. The blood of Christ has redeemed it. You can struggle with anxiety. It doesn't get to define you. You can struggle with insecurity. It doesn't get to define you. Our brokenness no longer gets to define us. The Son of God set us free from our anxiety, and who the Son sets free is actually free indeed. It's bigger than our feelings or our struggles or our moment. A day is coming when Shalom's going to return. He's going to wipe away every tear, and that restoration principle is coming. So Shalom, biblical peace, is, is coming to you. Christ is actively removing the sin and shame that's in your life, believer. Yeah, that stuff will pop up now and again, but shame has been defeated. The gospel rejects you. You have peace with God. And therefore, you can have peace with yourself. Our third relationship is peace with each other. It's pretty important too, right? In the fall, it, it describes that, that Eve is actually, uh, her desire is going to be contrary to her husband, right? There are only two people at the time. They're already in conflict. Flip over a page, Genesis chapter four, we have our first murder. It goes off the rails quick, zero to 100, not great. We've received peace from God. We have peace with ourselves. Now God actually expects and calls us to get involved in this peace thing that's going on. Jesus says clearly that, that what we receive from God, although it's a free gift, he gives it to us with a purpose. You're supposed to do something with what God gives you, whether it's money or talents or treasure, whatever that looks like, you do something with it. Peace is no different. Jesus says in Matthew 10, freely you've received, freely give. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, you've been enriched in every way, you've been given a lot, so now be generous in every way. Vertical to horizontal. That's the way this thing works. Bob Goff is one of my favorite authors. I've, you've probably heard me say this before. He sums it up so well. We're rivers, not reservoirs. Flows through us. Doesn't just get stuck there. We can and should have peace with one another. And it's so important that in John chapter 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you're at peace with one another, that's, that looks good on me. That's how you know you're walking with me. And so what does this mean practically? Christians don't have to be angry all the time. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Maybe our Christianity uh, has more to offer than winning an argument. Maybe Christians don't have to be jerks. You're allowed, follower of Christ, to smile. As a mentor of mine once said, seriousness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Which works out well for those of us who sometimes say goofy things like that. <laughs> Christian in the room, you've been set free from the temptation and the need to constantly argue and defend and get frustrated, you're allowed to just be at peace with people. You have been reconciled with. You actually are empowered, therefore, to reconcile. You can take the first step towards somebody. This is going to be really important in the season that we have. Dan mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the, the political mess that's coming our way is going to get messy. It's critically important that we remind ourselves that we're at peace with God we're at peace with ourselves, and no matter who people vote for or what they post on social media, that we have been given and empowered with the ministry of reconciliation. It's more important than who somebody votes for. Bob Goff said this. I love this quote, too. This is the last Bob Goff thing. You're tired of it. 
He said, Jesus doesn't need another lawyer. I love that. I like lawyers. I'm a fan of justice. Jesus is really good at at explaining who he is and defending himself. You don't have to constantly be on your guard. You can have peace with Jesus. In our liturgy, we're forgetful people. So part of what we do with this liturgy is actually to remember this, right? In a few minutes, Dan's going to stand right here and he's going to say, the peace of the Lord, right? Be always with you. You're going to say, and with your spirit, then we're going to go around and practice this idea of reconciliation with one another before we come to the table. Then, then Melissa's going to stand here at the end of our service and she's going to send us out to go and make more peace. Like this is what we're doing in our liturgical services. Every Sunday, we're playing out this concept of shalom. Isn't that beautiful? So what do we do? We go out and we do that. We make peace. So restore relationship with God, restore relationship with ourselves, with each other. The last one, and this is the shortest one, I promise, is, is our relationship is actually being restored with physical creation and the world around us. In the fall, Genesis says that cursed is the ground. It says that you're going to have pain in eating. Thorns and thistles are going to come up as you eat. At Paul, you're maybe noticing a theme. Like Paul liked the Old Testament. Colossians 1, he writes this. This is verse 19. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness, wait a minute, that's Shalom, was pleased to dwell. Because he's the Prince of Peace. And through him to reconcile, there's that relational word again, to himself, all things. Not just people, not just relationships, all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fruit of the Spirit gives us peace. And with that peace, we actually apply it to physical creation as well as our relationships. For most of church history, Christians have been on the very front edge of restoring the relationship with physical creation. It is a shame that we've given up our rights. Friends, I like vegetables that are fresh as much as the next person, but we don't just have a farm back here for fun and for aesthetics and so that you can make a great salad like I so often do. I'm really good at making salad. Not to flex. Anyways, we have this farm because as a church, we actually believe that stewarding the land is the embodiment of the shalom and the peace that has been offered to us by God. And it's our responsibility to show the world how to do it. We have peace with physical creation. We also have peace with society. I've, I've shared some stats. I could have shared more with you. Our society is in a messed up place. They are looking for peace. In Jeremiah 29, he has this fascinating thing that he throws in there as the people are in exile. He says that you're supposed to seek the welfare of the city for in its benefit, you'll find your benefit. So we are given peace to restore with each other, restore with ourselves, restore with creation. But also, friends, as Christians, if you have received peace, the city of Greensboro should feel it. We are the peace carriers. God has entrusted us with something hugely powerful that the world is looking for. So we are the ones who stand against injustice. We are the ones who fight for the oppressed in our city. We are the ones who care about bringing the welfare to Greensboro, North Carolina, and to the ends of the earth. That's our job. That's our calling. Greensboro should actually be a more peaceful place because of this church. And I believe that it is. And I believe that we're just getting started. So how does Jesus bring peace to us? He restores our relationship with God. He's, he's doing that. We have peace with God. 
restores our relationship with ourselves, restores our relationship with each other, restores our relationship with physical creation. And, and just for application, just to land the plane here, here's the last question that I mentioned to you. How do I get it? That's a really nice idea. If you're a believer in the room, man, that sounds pretty good. I want that. If you're not a believer in the room, don't you want that? How do I get it? Here's what the world will tell you. Spoiler alert, it's going to be wrong. Usually is. The world says that you're going to find peace by looking inside yourself. If you dig far enough within, um, you'll find this inner truth and this inner peace. And you can just give in to your desires and you can give in to your temptations because that's the real you. And the more the real you comes out, the more peace that you're going to experience. And that's what people are doing. That's the experiment that's going on all around us. The question is like, how do you think that's going? It's not going very well. And, and if you think I'm just making that up, there's, there's language behind this. It's, it's been growing for a long time. Rolf, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he's a 19th century poet. He said this, and he's wrong. The only person that, I can, that can bring you peace is yourself. Friends, that is not true. The Buddha is recorded as saying, peace comes from within. Friends, that is not true. I don't want to disrespect if you've, you know, any of that stuff. It's just not the case. Jesus has a very different view of how we get this peace. In John 14, he's having this upper room discourse with his disciples. He's, he's about to leave. I, I referenced this before. Um, and he looks at him and he says this. He says, these things that I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, Paraclete, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I've said to you. And there's kind of a cliffhanger here. All right, what is the result of all the things that Jesus has said to us? How does this play out in our lives? What happens next? You guessed it. Here's what the next word is. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if you caught it. Peace is not something that we're eventually going to find. Peace is something that we receive. Peace is a gift from God. There is not a formula for living your life that is going to bring you the type of peace that we're talking about. It is not keeping the daily office, although that's a good thing. It's not, man, if I get a little bit more sleep, if I exercise regularly and hit my REM cycle, if I have a quiet time, if I buy the right essential oils. Sorry if that convicted you, Catherine Meter, my wife, who I love. <laughs> if you want to know how to get peace, you want to know how to get it? It's complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. That's how we get it. Tim Keller said, the peace of God is not absence of fear. It is, in fact, his presence. That's how you get peace, the presence of God and surrendering to the presence of God. You receive peace by giving up control to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You can have peace or you can have control. Friends, gently, you can't have both. As your trust and faith in God increases, what I've seen, your peace will also begin to increase. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the most trustworthy figure of all time. He is so worthy of your trust, and he is way better with your life than you. Peace is a fruit. It's a result of a surrendered life and a surrendered relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And friends, I'll, I'll mention this too. Just 
this idea, it, it all feels incomplete because our world is still a mess. Just a reminder here that restoration is still on the way. The Prince of Peace came and the Prince of Peace is coming back. And the Prince of Peace, it says in, in Revelation 21, is actually going to make all things new again. He is going to reestablish the kingdom of Rome. Wrong will be made right. And Aslan comes in sight, that's C.S. Lewis. He is coming back to restore all things. And there is a day coming that this new creation is going to look like the shalom that God originally designed. It's actually going to be even better because he's good like that. So for now, in this in-between, in the now and not yet, what's our job? It's actually to cling and surrender to the Holy Spirit and to experience his peace in a new and, and hopefully refreshing way. And so friends, I, here's my prayer for you. I pray that as you walk out of here, your life would live at a posture of surrender and receiving what God has for you. Because what God has for you is shalom, is fullness, is wholeness, and is peace. He's really generous. And if you will put yourself in that posture, he will bless you and bless you and bless you with more and more and more of himself. That's who he is. That's what he's like. I pray that we might be a people that understand who God is and what he's done for us and truly experience his peace, that we would know in the depths of our souls that we have actually been made reconciled to God, that right now, you and I, God sees us through the lens of peace. That through that, we can actually have real peace with ourselves, despite our struggles, our feelings, and our hurts. That we can be radically peaceful with the people around us. We have been given the power of reconciliation and that the creation around us and the world around us would know that we, as Christians, as believers, we are people of the real Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you are so generous and you are so kind. I pray that we would surrender today. Well, I pray that if there are people who have never surrendered, that today would be the day, that, that they would repent and seek the gospel and experience the peace you have to offer. For the rest of us, would you continue to be so generous with your peace? Would you help us to have full and good relationships? Help us to embody shalom. Let this church be marked by peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please?